I'm going to invite you to John chapter 5. You got a Bible with you? John chapter 5 is where we're going to be together. And we're going to have an interesting discussion in, in John 5. I, I struggled with the best way to title this section because, because of what's happening with Jesus and this, and this, this story as it unfolds. But I, I'm just going to call this, this is called a healthy conflict, okay? We're going to talk about healthy conflict today, which is a little bit of a conundrum, isn't it? It's like a false dichotomy. You're going to have conflict, but you're going to talk about being healthy. Please introduce to me what type of conflict is a healthy conflict, right? Well, and obviously, we, we don't want to just have conflict for the sake of conflict, but there's a way to engage conflict that's, uh, that can be a uh, more faith promoting and encouraging than others. We're going to treat this like, like surgery. You know, it's like no one's going to sign up for surgery, but the, the reason you, you go into surgery is because you see the result is better having gone through it. Right. So, so when you talk about conflict, there's certain types of conflict that Jesus engages in, in scripture that, that the purpose of it is, isn't just to produce conflict, right? I mean, Jesus came as, as the King of Shalom, right? As the King of peace. He came to bring peace on, on earth or peace to this world. But, but in order to get there, there was this, there, there was a conflict that arose because Romans 5.10 tells us that we are enemies of God, right? We're enemies of God and we live contrary to his, this King and his kingdom. And so we've got to get in line with him. That's why Jesus's message from the beginning was repent and believe because there is this need of turning in our heart to, to this King in order to walk in this faith and trust in him. So we're at the, we're at war with God. There's this conflict even within us before we surrender or submit to, to him. But having gone through that, that, that turning in our heart, having been confronted with the truth of Christ and then giving our lives over to it, what the Bible says within our soul is we find peace in our relationship with God. And there will be ultimate peace restored in this earth through, through this King who reconciles all things in him. And so when you think about conflict. Jesus comes and he gauges, he fights darkness. That's why the whole point of John is light in darkness. He, he comes and wars against darkness and brings his light and, and light overcomes darkness. And in that conflict, Jesus wins and we have a place to trust. So there, there, there's a, there's a way of looking at, at conflict that is sort of like a, a, a scalpel in the hands of a surgeon. It reminds me of a, a story where in, in this town, there were these two men that were arguing and they decide to seek after the town's wise men for advice to, to end this conflict between the two of them. And so they, they go to the wise men. The first one uh, pre- presents his case. And the wise man looks at him and says, you're absolutely right. And the second guy comes in and he presents his case. And the wise man looks at him and says, you're absolutely right. And, and when the wise man gets home, his, his wife just gives him an earful. She says, these, these two guys presented to you things that were completely opposed to one another. They can't both be right. What were you thinking? How could you even say that? And, his, and his wife, he looks at his wife and he says, you're absolutely right. <laughs> so, so, there's some wisdom in that, isn't it? But you know, when I, when, I think about, when I think about conflict, we're not talking about just trying to sweep things under the rug. All right, when, when, when Jesus calls us into this world, like, uh, we're, we're people that, that bring reconciliation. We're people that bring truth. The Bible calls us in, in Matthew 5, you're even, you're peacemakers. Uh, peacemaker is such an important word to think about because uh, it's not saying, look, you're, you're just simply a peacekeeper, which a peacekeeper is the kind of person that likes to sweep problems under the rug and sort of ignore them. Let's just keep the peace. Let's just keep the peace. But that's not what Jesus calls you. He calls you a peacemaker. And, and sometimes that puts us in position to engage conflict in this world. And how you engage is, is important. It's not always about what you say. And what you say, you certainly want it to be honest, truthful. But it's also about the way you say it. 
And John chapter five is, is one of those stories that Jesus is about to engage in conflict. And he sets it up in a masterful way. In fact, last week we started the story already in, in the first 24 verses of Matthew chapter five. Remember, this is where uh, Jesus heals, heals the man right next to the, the, the pools in the temple by the sheep's gate, the porticos. And, and when Jesus heals this man, what we learn about the healing is that his entire purpose isn't simply just to heal this guy. This guy had been there for 38 years. And the belief, the belief during this man's day was that they, they had this belief that the, the angels would come down and stir the waters. And the first one that could touch the waters after the angel stirred it could be healed. And this man for 38 years had longed for this healing. But he couldn't get down to the water in time to beat the crowd to touch the water after the angel stirred it to, to find himself healed. And so when Jesus comes to him, that's what he's, he, Jesus comes to this man and he says, do you want to be made well, right? We saw this together. And, and Jesus heals this man, and we find when this man's healed, Jesus does this on the Sabbath. And the purpose of Jesus' healing in this story isn't, isn't the healing in and of itself. I think it's, it's valuable for us to learn. Because sometimes we have a way to treat God that's sort of like he becomes our servant, where, where our desire is for Jesus just to fix things for us so we can get back to doing what it is that we want to do. But, but Jesus is teaching something far more important than that. Because what, what's interesting in this story is we find that when Jesus goes to the sheep gate in order to heal this man, um, Jesus' intention is one of compassion, right? I mean, what, why else would he go to the sheep gate? Uh, this sheep gate it was, a, was a place that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't the most attractive area of the temple. In fact, it was, it was probably the least attractive area in the temple. And, and this is where all the animals went. And where animals go, there's always a mess to clean up. And not only that, this was a place where people gathered who were suffering tremendously. And they gathered around this pool in hopes of finding healing. And when Jesus goes to the temple, that's where he chooses to go. And he meets with these people that are struggling. And out of this story, he doesn't, it doesn't tell us that Jesus heals everybody. It tells us that Jesus heals one person. Now, why does Jesus do that? Well, Jesus is driving this circumstance to, to, to a place of something more, more deeply um, connected to our, our human need than just simply, simply physical healing. Now, I think, I think that's important. Like if the Lord, if you've got a struggle in your life and the Lord decides to miraculously heal that, wonderful, praise God for that. But, but what's more important to know is that's not an end in itself. There's something deeper. And if you just end there, you're robbing yourself of something greater. And we, we simply look at the, the meal and we, we appreciate the meal rather than the provider of every meal. That's, a, that's what Jesus is showing us here. It's like, look, he can heal and that's great. That is great. But it's not, not the healing itself that's, a point, that's the point. It, it, it's from where the healing derived. That, that's what we need confronted in. And that's where Jesus drives the story in John chapter 5. He knows that in the heart of Israel, they are rejecting him and he wants to confront them in, in that position that's opposed to him as Lord and Savior in their lives. And so in order to do that, what Jesus does here is incredibly brilliant. 
I mean, it's genius. It's, it's masterful. He, he's, he knows he, he needs to engage the souls of individuals that, that are contrary to his kingdom right now. And in order to do that, what he does is he goes to one of the most desperate places around the temple and he heals someone on the Sabbath. And then he calls this person to pick up his mat and walk through the temple because he knows this individual is going to come across others that are living contrary to Jesus. And he's going to use this miraculous circumstance to identify for people where they are opposed to him. But in doing this, what what we learn about, about Jesus is that his motivation behind addressing the conflict isn't about proving he's right and we're wrong, which he always is. Like if you're, if you're in battle with Jesus, just confess, right? Like <laughs> you're wrong and he's right. That's, that's, the, best way to, that's the best way to do that, right? Um, but, but, but his point is the pursuit of a heart and what he wants us to understand as he addresses where our, our souls war against him is he is a king full of compassion, and that makes it hard to fight against someone when they approach you that way, doesn't it? But when, when you know that you've got a tension in a relationship with someone else, but man, they are for you and they, they love you and they, they've done wonderful things before your eyes and you know that they really care about you. I mean, why else, why else would Jesus become flesh, the king of kings becoming the servant of servants? It makes, it makes no sense. A part of a, a heart of compassion for the need of my own life. And that's what Jesus does with this miracle. He knows, he knows what, what he has to approach in the hearts of the Israelites who are turned against him. So he leads with a heart of compassion. And he heals someone on the Sabbath. And we already, we already talked about this. We know that the Sabbath laws are you can't work on the Sabbath. And the Jews, according, uh, according to the Mishnah on the Sabbath, the, the rules say that no one can work on the Sabbath except for God. Because if God ever stops working, then everything falls apart. And, and Jesus, when, he, when he's confronted by these religious leaders, and these religious leaders, it, it tells us, starting in verse 12 of chapter 5, it, it tells us that they know that this individual had been by this portico for several years. That he was he is one that wasn't able to, to, to find healing. He wasn't able, he hasn't been well. He had been suffering there. And then when, when, he, when they're confronted by him, their question isn't, or their statement isn't praise God for your healing. Their, their question is, who made you well on the Sabbath? How dare they? How dare they? Someone would work on that day. And, and Jesus tells us in verse 17, he, when he's finally confronted with these religious leaders over this circumstance of compassion that he held towards this individual that needed to healed, Jesus says, I, I was working, no doubt, I was working. And tells us in verse 18, because of that, the Jews wanted to kill him. These leaders wanted to kill him because they knew what Jesus was saying by declaring he was working on the Sabbath. He was making himself equal with the Father. Jesus was saying he was God. Because there's, there's something beautiful about this story as, as Jesus is about to go on from here is that in our world, we've got to understand that it walks contrary to the light. It walks contrary. It's at war with God. You were at war with God before you put your faith in Jesus. And it's not just about what you say, but the way you say it. A heart of compassion is hard to fight against. 
And no doubt people will fight against it because we like to make ourselves rulers of this world. But a heart of compassion becomes important in the way that you engage conflict, just like a surgeon. Your heart is important. That's what Jesus is saying, without saying anything to the, to the Jewish people. Your heart is important, and, and you need the Lord. And so in order for you to understand just how much you need God, I'm going to lead with this miracle to drive to a greater purpose because it's not about the miracle in and of itself. Like when we read these stories in the Gospel of John, that the, the, the great things that Jesus did, that the acts that Jesus did, isn't the point. The point is to help our hearts recognize that we, we need this God too and we can have him for all of eternity to, to experience the goodness of, of who he is, to lead with a heart of compassion. If your motivation is not love for others, at best you will only ever treat people as a commodity in life. You only ever see the purpose of people around you really to serve you. But, but Jesus' heart of compassion was for them. That's, that's why Jesus says to this man, pick up your mat and walk. Pick up your mat and walk because I, I want to drive to a deeper issue that people need to face. More than just, just this healing, but what's warring within them in their soul. But, so, so I would say this, healthy conflict, one, the story lays out for us, first 24 verses, is full of compassion. And number two, healthy conflict, it's truth-telling. It's truth-telling, not for the purpose of just wielding a weapon to hurt people, but to point people to what really heals, right? Healthy conflict is it's, it's truth-telling. And you see this with Jesus, not, not because Jesus is wanting to, to pick, a, pick a fight with people, but he wants people to know what ultimately sets them free, and what's interesting, verse, verse 39 of, of John chapter 5, we just kicked off from that introduction there. John chapter 5, verse 39. Uh, Jesus comes to this very powerful statement, I think, out of all this section. If I, could just, if I could just remember one verse, if I just told you one verse that really has just, over the years, has, has cut me to the heart, it's this, it's this verse. Verse 39, you examine the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is those very scriptures that testify about me. And you think in this moment, uh, Jesus is getting to the most religious of people. And they could quote their Bible chapter and verse, or at least the Old Testament. You don't have the New Testament at this point. But they, could, they can quote their Bible chapter and verse. I mean, yeah, if you pointed into all of Israel and you said, who knows your Bible? And they're going to go to these religious leaders, the ones of the law, the ones that are uh, so adamant that what's been broken with this healing of this man is, is the Sabbath law. How dare that happen? They, they know the law. Or do they? And this is what Jesus says about the importance of truth for, for us. Is they, they see under, understanding scripture, just knowing scripture as an end unto itself. I am a spiritual person because I know Bible answers. And, and Jesus is saying, no, if your intentions of engaging the scriptures is just to show that you're smart with the scriptures, you've completely missed it. You've completely missed it because the point of scripture isn't about you and your brilliance. Jesus says the point of scripture is about me. 
It's about knowing me. And so Jesus wants to give them a a particular lens through which to begin to view the word of God that they claim to cherish. I mean, Jesus said the same thing, Luke 24, 27, after his resurrection, he met the strangers on the road to Emmaus. And he says, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. So when you think about engaging conflict, a couple things that we need here is, one, a heart of compassion. It's not about you winning the argument. It's about recognizing the the need of the soul of another individual and that care for that soul to drive them towards, number two, an understanding of truth. Hard to fight against somebody when you know they care for you. When you're loved deeply by that individual that's brought you to a place that you're walking contrary to. But at the same time, being willing to tell the truth for the sake of of the soul of, a, of another. And this is what Jesus does in verse 31. Look at this. He says, if I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies about me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Here's what Jesus is saying. He says, you, you want to know the truth? You, you claim to know the truth, but let me help you walk in the truth because right now you're contrary to the truth and you don't understand how this truth all points to me. And the way that Jesus sets this platform, he says, look, um, in, in Jewish law, something is established, especially when there's opposition or conflict, by, by the witness of two or three people. Deuteronomy 17 has that written. Deuteronomy 19 has that written. That when, when, when there were G- Jewish people in conflict and they, they went to a, the court to present or went before a wise man to present this case, that it was on the basis of, of two or three witnesses that someone can be held guilty, right? So two or three witnesses is important to, to Jewish society. And, and so Jesus is saying, look, uh, I, I want you to be able to walk in truth, and, and I'm going I'm to do it through your means, your law. Uh, I, I want to establish for you how, how you know I am who I say I am. How, how do you know that Scripture really points to, to me? And, and Jesus gives us here, just a couple of three examples that we can look at. Verse 33 to 35, example one. Verse 36, example two. And then verse 37 to the end of the chapter, example three, or really it's like 3.5. I'm going to give you 3.5 examples here. Um, but Jesus ties the last two together in a, in a, in a beautiful way. And so, so when you think about, even in your own life, right? Um, when we think about trusting in Jesus, following after Jesus. I think it's important for for our soul to recognize we aren't always in a line with him. And it's not because we're right. I mean, every culture in this world, every culture that's ever existed has has something that they feel um, is really important to that culture that walks contrary to God. And, and we can always give into the compromising of that. Or, or even some of us here this morning, maybe we've never even trusted in Christ at all. Like may, maybe some of us are walking with Jesus, but we understand there's always this conflict going on. And, and, and maybe there's some of us that just, we, we're still looking for that reason to jump on board with Jesus. But Jesus here is gonna lay out those reasons of just, just validating the significance of who he is. And so in verse 33, he, he gives us that, that first place of importance Built, built on his heart of compassion here. He says, he says, you have sent messengers to John and he has testified to the truth. But the testimony I receive is not from man, but I say that these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and shining and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his 
light. So with, with John, he just wants to reckon, recognize he, he's, it was this burning, shining light. Like the first, the first evidence that Jesus gives over the significance of who he is, is John. And this would have been important to Jews prophetically, and then even practically, I think important for all of us. Like pro- prophetically, if you read the Old Testament, the last chapter of the, of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, chapter four, last couple of verses of the book of Malachi, it promises before the Messiah comes, the, the anointed one, that there would be a forerunner like Elijah. And, and John the Baptist has become that for Jesus. And so Jesus is identifying, one, that John is this fulfillment of Scripture so that people could identify the Messiah. And John talked about Jesus being that Messiah. So, so prophetically, when you think about what, what it communicates maybe on a larger scale for us, like when you, when you think about all of the Old Testament, there's this prophetic demonstration of Jesus being proclaimed and Jesus coming and fulfilling him, validating that he is everything the Old Testament said he was. And, and, and John being that, that pinnacle piece that introduced Jesus to the world, very important. But when I, when I also think about following Jesus pragmatically, I just want to know, does it work? Like, well, that's great. It might be true, but is it really life changing? Is it really going to matter? Does it, I mean, why can't we all just pick, pick something that we just like? Why does it have to be Jesus? Right. But, but here's, here's the thing he says about John is John's contagious. You ever get around people that are just passionate about something that makes a difference in life? And it's like, man, I, I want to be around this person more often. This is, they're a great human being. To be, they're always positive. They got this vision. It's transforming life. It's making a difference. These guys are great, right? It's fun to be around people like that. It's motivating to be around people like that. And I, and I think this is a similar illustration with the life of John. Yes, he's in in, in the proclamation of truth and he aligns with what scripture says prophetically to identify the the importance of Jesus in my life. But but just think about the passion of John. Like I I wish sometimes as Christians we would focus on this just a little bit more, just the thoughts of John's life and try to mimic our lives in in a similar way. Because sometimes, man, as believers, like some of the most Debbie Downer people in life, they think Jesus has come into this world to radically transform you and every day you wake up, you get to serve this king that makes a difference for all of eternity. But sometimes you meet Christians, you're like, you, you think the battle has been lost, right? It's like, but, but when you're around John, full of compassion, this light burning, and he's just serving for the Lord with this fire, just wanting God, people to, to know the Lord. It's incredible. Uh, one, one of my favorite stories about John, uh, Matthew chapter 11, it happens in Matthew and Luke, this story, but uh, Matthew chapter 11, John is in jail. And, and he sends his, his disciples to Jesus to ask a question. And, and when I, for my first few years following Jesus, I, I, I didn't understand why John would ask this question. Because Jesus says in the same chapter, in verse, verse 10, 11, 12, that John was the greatest, greatest person to ever live. That's how John, Jesus labels John. But, but John sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? And that's a pretty, pretty incredible question when you think about who John is, uh, that he came as this Elijah to introduce the Messiah, and he already proclaimed Jesus that way, and now he finds himself sitting in jail, and now he's asking Jesus that question, are you the Messiah, or should we wait for another? And, and Jesus responds to John in an interesting way. He, 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 he tells the disciples, go and tell John, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah chapter 35. He says, go and tell John... Uh, that the uh, that the lame walk and the blind see, 
And, and then you don't really hear anything else about the discussion. Like, that's all, that's all that you're told. It's like, how, what, how's, how's that good for John? Like, John's in jail, and he wants, and then Jesus just quotes a couple verses, and that's all you get. And then Jesus is like, John's the greatest guy to ever live, guys. Like, what is, what is this story? And, and the frustration of that, I, I finally dug a little deeper and, and, and just figured out what Jesus was saying there. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. John has this picture in his mind that when Jesus comes, he's going to set up his kingdom and everyone's going to rule and reign with him. And Jesus did. He set up his spiritual kingdom. He is going to come and set up his kingdom physically, but he's, he set up his kingdom spiritually for us. But John is expecting the kingdom to be set up physically. And he's looking around in jail and he's thinking, if that's Jesus, why am I here? If he's the king, he should just come break me out of this place and we're just going to rule and reign together. And, and it didn't happen. And when when, he, when it started to not happen, John got a little worried. He's like, uh, Herod's sharpening the knife that's going to be touching my neck here soon. I don't want to, what, what's, what's going to happen with, with me? And, and he asked that question. And when Jesus gives him that response, he realizes, no, the kingdom's here. The kingdom's here. Yes, John is in a difficult circumstance, but his life is still being lived for the king and his glory. The kingdom's here. It's like Jesus was saying to John, John, I'm not coming for you, but everything's under control. Everything's under control. The king is here. John lived his life full of passion for the Lord. And guys, I I would encourage you the same when you think about living and walking in the truth, not to just be a a person full, full of compassion and, and definitely be that, but, and a person that's telling the truth, but, but to let that passion come through you, through you in your life. Like, um, one, one cool movie, I think sometimes, I don't know if I should promote movies, but if you ever seen the movie Gladiator, um, if you know the story about uh, Maximus, uh, Maximus was, was a general for Marcus Aurelius, right? He was one of the greatest generals and Marcus Aurelius early in the movie tells Maximus, I'm going to make you the leader in Rome. You're going to be the next Caesar to lead the emperor uh, of the kingdom here and uh, at least the earthly kingdom of, of Rome that dominates the world. And, and, and Marcus Aurelius, his son finds out and he, and he kills his father at his older age and Maximus ends up becoming a, a slave and it turns him into a gladiator and, and, and Commodus in, goes and kills uh, Maximus his family and Maximus is like distraught. He has no identity anymore. He's sort of, you see him like lose, lose really himself. He doesn't want to live, but then he, he discovers that if he keeps going through these gladiator games and he wins, that he gets to come before the emperor and he gets to declare his loyalty to who the true emperor was, Marcus Aurelius, and identify what's happened to his family and really get his victory over, over his, the circumstance. But you know what's amazing about that movie? It's just the passion to see someone go from leading down to nothing. And then all of a sudden he finds this identity again and, he, and just passion pursues it and fights for it and, and defends it. And it's just, it just draws you into the moment and he gets the victory that, that he sought after in the end, according to the movie anyway. But it's the same, same for us. That you had a king and he, for a moment, maybe even his followers thought he's defeated. But 
but he, he returns in victory and resurrects and promises you that same victory. And it's in this, this world of darkness that you get to be light and that passion of waking up every day and living for that king and his glory in this world as you proclaim this truth with compassion towards people that, that need the same transformation that you've experienced. You, you have a platform to do that. And Jesus uses John in the story to illustrate its importance for us. You know, you think as you wage in this world, war of this world, you fight the spiritual battle that God has called us to, like along the way, what we learn, and people aren't perfect. In fact, people can be a bit of a booger sometimes, right? People aren't perfect, but the sweetness of Jesus never ends. It never ends. So if we make him our goal, you'll never be disappointed to live with passion for the king. Number two, verse 36. But, but the testimony I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. And Jesus, the second point, is saying, look, Jewish leaders, you need an, a basis for truth. And I know this is confronting you in a way that, that you don't want to bow to because you're conflicted with the scriptures right now. But, but let me just give you two reasons. One, John the Baptist is the forerunner. You know how your Old Testament ends, right? And number two, me. That's what Jesus is saying here. Number two, if you want something to look at, look at me. And Jesus only says this in one verse, so I'm not going to go real deep into this um, because Jesus doesn't go real deep into this because all you have to do is just read the book of John, right? Like you, you wanna, and that's what we're doing together. We're, we're seeing the significance of who Christ is in our lives and getting to know this Christ. That's why I said from the beginning, just pick up John and read it like a child. Pretend like you know nothing and get to know this Jesus. And, and this is what Jesus is saying to you. You want to know a reason why you should embrace what I'm saying to you? Because of who I am. Just look at what's been done. And Jesus is showing these stories of compassion for us that we see this, this king and not only his identity, but his care for our souls. And we can... We can give our lives to him. And I just say this to, to us, no matter where we've been in our lives, like we, we don't so much care about where you've been as to where you're going. We love your story. We love what brought you here. That's important. But, but what's more important is where you're going in life. And sometimes when you walk this road in this world with everything screaming at you, you're just trying to find a, a purpose and reason to live. If you've ever been lied to, it's hard to trust again. So you, you, you will say it from that position, well, how do I know if I follow what you're saying, Nathaniel, that everything's gonna work out? And I just say, look, sometimes we stress out when we've been lied to in life, like trust has been hurt. You don't want to trust in anything else again. You want to know everything before you trust in anything. But when it comes to following Jesus, or when it comes to being a Christian, let me say, the primary question you need to answer in your life, and let God take care of the rest, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Just answer that question. Who is Jesus? Religions in this world all have some sort of answer to that, right? But biblically, biblically as Christians, we, we see him as God come in the flesh who, who, whose purpose is for your soul. He gave his life that you could be set free by his sacrifice for your sins. Who is this Jesus? And this is what Jesus is saying to us in this passage is just... Understanding who he is, really, it's what sets us free, the truth of who he is. And then in verse 37, he gives us the, his final argument here. He says, 
and the Father who sent me, he has testified about me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Also, you do not have his word remaining in you because you do not believe him whom he sent. You examine the scriptures because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. And it's those very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you're unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Here's what's interesting. Jesus really is kind of making two arguments, one argument here. He says, the Father has testified about me, which he did at Jesus' baptism. Remember Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. The Father speaks from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Definitely testifies over Jesus. But then he says this interesting thing. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Like, um, I'm going to go ahead on a limb and say it's probably true for all of us. right? Like, we weren't at Jesus' baptism. Um, hearing God's voice. Like, how, Jesus is using this as an argument to believe who he is. And how in the world do I, am I going to do that? Like if Jesus, I'm going to try to follow your three-step argument here. Your third argument is kind of hard. Um, because I don't wake up every day with God the Father talking to me, right? Like, what is that, what is that like? And, and then he does something interesting here. In verse 38, he says, you don't have his word remaining in you. And then look what he does in verse 39. He connects the Father's word to Scripture. And that's what he's saying here. It's like, you don't have God's word in you, and you examine the Scripture. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you want to know what God the Father's voice is? Read the word. Read the word. That's such an important point for us, especially in our, our culture. We kind of devalue faith in our culture in a way. Let me, let me explain why. We are so self-centric driven as people that we, we are arrogant enough to assume we're the origin of truth. <laughs> that's, that's our culture. Like the basis of reality is me. And I define what truth is. That's how we, because we see this ourselves as the center of the universe. But, but here's the problem with that. You didn't create truth. Truth existed before you. And when you die, truth will continue to sustain when you're, when you're off this earth, right? That's like, you're, you're not the origin of truth and you're not the continuation of truth. Truth has existed long before you ever did. There is an ultimate foundation of truth. So you can certainly experience it, but you're not the creator of it. And that's what makes the word of God so important because often in life you'll have people that argue for something from their own personal experience that, that can be in conflict with each other. So how do you determine what's right and what's wrong? Well, you need a basis outside of yourself to define what reality is. Truth corresponds to reality, right? And so we're talking about ultimate truth. If God, God is the creator of all things, then God would have given us a standard for ultimate truth. And what Jesus is saying is if you want that standard, look at the word. Look at the word. There are plenty of people that believe things wholeheartedly in life but, and they believe it with passion, but they are wrong because it conflicts with the reality of what truth is, even though they may see themselves as the center of truth. And that's true for you. And that's true for me. In life, I can walk contrary to God. And I need God to speak to me. And then he got to show me. Reveal in my heart where I stray from him. And Jesus is saying, you want to know where it is? 
It's letting the Father's voice reflect in your life. And if you want to hear from the Father, here's what you do. Read the word. God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. And the way he chooses to do it is through his, his word. And here's the beauty of that. It's because sometimes people claim that God speaks to them. And when they say things, you're like, that's crazy. That's crazy. And you need help knowing that's not crazy. Or how to be not crazy. right? Like, and the way that we do that. It's pointing you back to the word. We all get a basis for understanding when something is crazy or not crazy because you have God's word that directs you. And that's what, what Jesus is saying in this passage. You want to hear from God? Read his word. You want God to talk to you out loud? Read his word out loud. That's what Jesus is saying. 2 Timothy 3.16 just reminds us one of those uh, famous passages of scripture it says this about God's word, all scripture is inspired by God and beneficial for teaching, for, rebu- for rebuke, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or, or woman of God may be fully capable and equipped of every good work. This idea of inspired isn't like a songwriter who is inspired. Sometimes you'll see people write poems and wonderful songs. You're like, what was your inspiration? They'll tell you this great story of their inspiration, which is good. But when the Bible talks about inspiration, it means more than that. It literally means God breathed. It's saying when you picked up the pages of scripture, this isn't man's word about God. This is God's word to you. And God does it in a beautiful, brilliant way. He's He's not taking people over like robots, but he actually works through their personalities to to communicate to us the very words he desires for us to have. God wants to speak to you. Why? Because our hearts, our hearts are conflicted. And we need Jesus. Verse 46 and 47. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus is saying, look, compassion in conflict. It's, it's important to have healthy conflict. With, with, you need compassion. You need truth. And really, you need centered on me. My glory. So let me... Let me let me finish it thinking this way as we, we think about being centered on Jesus. Um, suppose for a moment you lived in the world where everyone, everyone did what you wanted. Right? Everyone, fi- you say, finally, right? <laughs> Every, if everyone would just do what I wanted, the world would be perfect. <laughs> Let's suppose you live in that world where everyone does what you wanted. Um, for like five minutes, it would be cool. But you know, in order to, to do that, what everyone's going to really have to be is a robot. And that's the only way you're going to get a world where everyone serves you the way that you want them to serve you is you live in a robot world. And for five minutes, maybe you're more nerdy than me, so maybe you'll like it for 10 minutes. But after 10 minutes, robot world would get old. And the reason robot world would, would get old is that you wouldn't really experience any depth in relationship. As people were motivated by others, you, you want to belong, you want to share, um, you, you're even going to want to experience conflict. The rub of, of everyday life, now I know you don't want to seek after conflict, but, but the rub of everyday life, what it, what it shows us is the, the struggle of everyday life, it shows us that relationships are real. And that's the difference between robot world and, and human interaction, Robot world, there's not really a return, a, a depth of intimacy in, in human world when we, 
we interact with each other. We rub each other the wrong way sometimes. And, but what it shows is a depth of, of relationship. Real, real relationship ha- uh, is happening. If you're not going through some sort of experience of, of rubbing against someone else, metaphorically or maybe physically, I don't know. But if you're not going through that in life, what it, what it shows is you really don't have any relationship. It's that rub that reminds us really of life that relationship is. And guys, the, the same is true with God. Some of us have a God that agrees with everything that we do. But I want you to know that's not God. If you have a God that agrees with everything you do, that's not real God, that's robot God. That's a God that you, you created to try to satisfy you as the center of the world. So it's when you, when you rub God in, in some way that, or you're rubbing against God in some way that you, you're recognizing that relationship is happening because there's challenge there. And when you think about the way God confronts us, what's important is to see his attitude in, in this, this, this section of scripture that we, we need a God that, that challenges us, that, that broaches conflict with us and rubs us because it, it's showing us that Look, you're, you're walking through relationship with him. Now, truthfully, when there's conflict, there is a, there's a problem and it's not him, right? So there's something about, there's about you. And the tendency in our human nature is to want to run from that, stiff arm that, change who God is so that we don't have to change who we are and we create robot God. But Jesus is saying in this story, I care about you too much to run from conflict. And I want you to see a God of compassion, a God who's for you and being so much for you, he's willing to share truth with you so that in the end you can be centered on me. We can look at it through John's experience and see, man, Jesus is life and he's motivating and life-giving and transforming and John's life testified about that. And you look through the lens of Jesus and See in verse, the, the, the following verses, verse 36, that, that he's good. And all the scriptures say about him, this, that's who he is. And he, he's good and he, he frees me from sin. And then we can look at the, the word of God and know this God too. Look, let me just give us a place in our lives. Like, If you think about your spiritual journey right now and you can't think of a place where you're in conflict with God. Maybe it's worth asking, do I have a relationship with him? And am I engaging him where the struggle is? Am I allowing his voice to speak to me? Am I seeing him as a king that cares more about me than I even care about myself? Like, is his, do I see his love that deep? And are you turning to him, allowing his life to fill you with that motivation that he sees in John? If, if you're here this morning, you're not a, a believer or a follower in him. Let me just encourage you to taste the goodness of this king. To stop making robot God. And embrace this God who meets you in those challenges and transforms your life. To take your heart before this king and say, Lord, I, I am a sinner. I war against you. 
but you're a savior and you rescue me. God, I surrender my heart to you. Free me. God, give me life in you forever. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.